podcast ain't playing nobody. How much you miss a video game right now? Tell me how much you miss it. I, I mean, I could give the kind of dishonest answer and say I miss it dearly, but I was <gasps> struggling to find time. I was struggling to find time. I miss having it in my life, like it, having it as an option, yeah. but I, I was barely keeping up with it the last couple of years because we had a kid. So You heretic. I have two kids. That is not an excuse. You can ignore children and play video games all the time. I might do it right <clears throat> now. Yeah, seriously, you're probably playing as we speak. Well, this is not something we planned before the show, but I mean, you just cratered my intro. This is the moment. This is the uh, the Day of the Dead celebration of what once was, and that was the NCAA video game. Uh, yeah, and, I, I, and I love that. I love that day. Just watching everybody get excited about it and everything. And I've played. I've put in billions of hours playing it with it. So, like, I can still envision it. I still. I still miss it. I still don't like not having it in my life. Um, here's the deal. There's a ton of coverage over at SB Nation. You can read all about it. Um, our, our youthlings, Alex and Richard, wrote a bunch of great stuff about why and what could be and what probably won't be and what we miss the most about the game and also the community that's still sort of propping up that game. It is the reason why I have the original edition, PlayStation 3, which is about the size of a VCR from 86. It is a beast of a thing. Um, and I refuse to get rid of it. I don't have it hooked up, but I cannot get rid of it specifically because I have the disc copies for the last three games. Uh, so it'd be 13, 12 and 11. And I also have a disc copy of Red Dead Redemption. So, um, <coughs> I can't bring myself to get rid of it because I just occasionally want to fire it up and, uh, and play it like it's 2013. I have not done the roster updates, Bill. Um, I, I, you know, maybe that's a bridge too far for me. I just uh, hold out hope we won't have to here in the next couple of years. Um, life hack though. I was informed by a source recently that if you are into emulated video games, you can find the super Tecmo bowl from back in like the super Nintendo Sega Genesis days with the rosters and mods for the current college football teams and rosters. So if, if that tickles your fancy, that's out there on the internet is the ROM community is not entirely legal. So it's kind of like you're in a kind of a gray Napster type area, but it, you know, if that's your flavor, it's out there. It's out there. I informed uh, Bill right before we went on the air. I just received a copy of Bill Walsh college football for the super <laughs> Nintendo a vintage copy. I found for exactly $2 and 50 cents. <sighs> I feel like this is a safe space to admit that. You feel like, I mean, if there, if there is any, that's not even an admission. That's like a, that's a brag. I'm fired up about it. I also have the original NCAA football. It's just called NCAA football. I don't even remember this. Um, but once my super NT comes in, we're going to fire this up. I'm going to try and find a way to create content out of this. I don't know how, if only to justify buying this crap in my thirties, but, um, I saw the NCAA football game, like the OG super Nintendo game in a flea market. And I couldn't resist. Um, the cover is a generic logo named washed like image, but I, you can tell one of the schools is Penn state. Um, and then it, it has the giant NCAA seal on it. So I, I'm just can't wait to dig into this and see what kind of uh, gross misrepresentation of student athletes was going on in the nineties for $70 at a, at a pop bill. This is podcast. Yeah. I play nobody. It's a college football marriage of numbers and words. Uh, Robot Bill Connolly can be found at SBN underscore Bill C. My name is Stephen Godfrey. You can find me at 38 Godfrey. And as much as I would love to talk about vintage video game pursuits for another, mm, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes, 
Um, it's probably not good for my mystique. And it's also uh, contrary to a very packed schedule because Bill, the season's back. Did you know that? We don't play Apparently, the, yeah. We don't do the football part thing for a while, but, but season's back, football back. Football back. Although, stupid things happening, media things happening, football back. I, I mean, I guess we, you know, this has been the least buzzy start to media day season that I can remember. And I, I, that's not really a complaint, but uh, I'm used to having to kind of turn the volume down further. But it's been a little easier to ignore this time. Most boring offseason ever is definitely getting a at least three days in most boring talking season ever to compliment it. Um, we prognosticated the stupid stuff with Lincoln Riley and Georgia, maybe being a narrative hasn't really fleshed out that way. I haven't seen anything coming out of either the big 12 or sec media days. I'm not really focusing on them. Uh, Lincoln Riley was asked about it and he basically said, I know this is a slow time of year. So I forgive you guys is, was basically his answer. Dude, he busted a slow news day on us. That's pretty embarrassing. This is, I mean, God, the state of the media in 2018. I'm just telling you, uh, Bill, it's been pretty tepid, but before we talk about, uh, what's going on? I almost said Hoover correction, Atlanta, what's going on in Atlanta, what's going on in the star in North Dallas, which really isn't much, but I'm trying to create a segue here. Guess where we win all access. We being me in theory. You in, you in spirit, in spirit. I want a cowbell. Send me a cowbell. I know people are listening. That's all I'm going to say. Send me a cowbell. I'm not going to do anything to it. I'm not trying to be ironic. I want a cowbell. Bill, do you know why I want a cowbell? Because SB Nation likes Mississippi State again. Because in this here Southeastern Conference, of all the schools that one could be fascinated by, the school that I am the most fascinated by, the school that I want to watch play football the most right now in July, the one that I'm most interested in in the year of our Lord 2018 and the, and the forthcoming season is the school whose fan base sends me death threats, tries to get me fired, accosts my family at various church functions. It's just funny how life works. It's not like I've, you know, I've got a bug up my ass about like, oh man, Kentucky's interesting. No, 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 no. No, it's Mississippi State. Um, the giant boulder that is the crap I worked on for five plus years being Leah Lewis and Hugh Freeze and all that. All of that aside, you have a fresh day starting in Mississippi. You have two head coaches that couldn't be more different backgrounds, how they got the job, why they got the job, et cetera. You went to Starkville. You talked yeah. to one Joe Moorhead. How's Joe? Doing? I went to Starkville about a week before uh, Project X <laughs> came out, and I was very nervous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I had to talk to you and 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 our editor Nate uh, about. Like this isn't like this isn't going to be super weird, right? Like we're not about to just let you know burn Mississippi State to the ground. And 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 then I was, I, you know, once I saw the piece and saw the video series, I thought it was exceedingly fair to Mississippi State. I thought it was harder on Ole Miss than Mississippi State. Uh, Mississippi State fans, of course, probably didn't uh, feel the same way. Mm-mm, but no. but anyway, everything turned out to be okay. Um, it was uh, you, uh, you. You were you did a fair job, and then I I feel bad because you basically like you, when you got back to the show, when you came back to 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 the outside world after spending however long in Mississippi last winter. One of the first things you said was you were kind of burnt out, and you were you had spent too much time on the homicide beat, basically. 
Um, you go and do all the homicide investigations and I get to walk in and basically just hand out keys to the city is how this tends to work. I just get to basically, my pitches are usually, Hey coach, you're really good at this thing. Can I come to your school and we can talk about how awesome you are at it. Uh, and that's a little easier, uh, just, just a tad, uh, less confrontational than a lot of the stuff you have to do. So I I feel bad about that sometimes. Don't feel bad. I found, look, I, it was a. It wasn't even gallows humor because that would be an insult to Moorhead. I was with a camera crew jumping back and forth from sources and lawyers and various shady, uh, and et cetera, et cetera, people, um, doing the story while I got a text about who was going to replace Mullen. So I was in Mississippi. I was in Starkville for the egg bowl. And then I was there for another week and change, as Dan Mullen went to Florida, and then they started looking for a head coach. And it, it, a couple of things. I don't think Mississippi State got, I mean, any credit for the way that they handled their head coaching search. There were a lot great. of jobs that turned over. Pretty much half of the half of the most powerful league in college sports, and then on top of that, uh, a bunch of others. And nobody talked about how smooth and good that coaching search was. How they how they went about it. Who they vetted. Who they targeted. Um, it was really close to the vest. Um, I got it. I got information about Moorhead being a front runner about, I'd say 12 ish hours before it surfaced as sort of the number one, you know, kind of like, uh, expected to be named type of, you know, those official tweets that you see from Mm -hmm. you folks. Um, I didn't really work the rotisserie thing last year. I didn't really work the cycle news because we were doing the doc. Um, as soon as I knew, as soon as I was told, that it was legit. I texted Joe Moore and I said, man, congratulations. Um, we have, we have talked to Joe Moorhead multiple times at SB nation for multiple kinds of stories. I think his background really aligns with sort of the light, the the kind of storytelling that we like at SB nation for college football, at least. Um, he's a contrarian. He has a completely unique background. He was once a member of the media, but was smart enough to flee and make more money and have a happier life. Um, uh, yeah, I just, my my initial reaction was, dude, that's awesome. And then when you start thinking about personnel and yep. the situations he's been through and what he's inherited at different stops, be it like as the OC at UConn or when he was head coach at Fordham or really when, you know, Penn State had first kind of dusted itself off and stood up as an actual like functional FBS roster. Um, this is going to be a completely different challenge. Um, so please tell me about specifically what he's going to do because this is not – this is not a fixer upper. This is not reclamation. This is just straight up like, you know, you've got a really damn good roster. You have an exceptional roster for this program. You got to go now. Go, go, go. Right. I mean, this is, uh, you only have Nick Fitzgerald one more year. You only have Jeffrey Simmons one more year. There is a little bit of urgency built in in that regard, uh, in that they're probably, from a personnel standpoint, stronger now than they will be 12 months from now. Um, so that that can be awkward for a, for a new head coach. You, you, you're you taking on a job that uh, has higher expectations than historically it should have. Uh, and those expectations are extremely justifiable and it is like, uh, you know, experienced personnel that won't necessarily be around much longer. So 
that's kind of i just like from a macro and a micro standpoint i hope this hire works out well from a micro standpoint i just i i like joe moorhead he's he's a he's a generous interview he's uh very kind with his time uh and uh, and you know it just you know those are the types of guys you you tend to root for especially when you combine that with the fact that he's nice to us and he's nice to sb nation and, and open to uh lots of different forms of media perhaps because he was a he was an aspiring media guy himself for a minute uh, but w- whatever the reason, he's just a really nice guy. And, um, you know, the nice guys don't automatically win a lot of football games. So, I mean, he's still got a lot of work to do, but he's um, he- he's a good dude. And then uh, from a macro standpoint, the types of hires that I like are the ones like this that are just optimistic. It wasn't like some 86 dimensional kind of perfect guy with the perfectly calibrated sec and Nick Saban experience and these specific ties and this and this, that, and everything else. Um, it was just a, Hey, let's go out and try to find the most potentially brilliant coach we can find. And let's bring them in to, to Starkville. Um, Moorhead had no ties to Mississippi, no ties to really anything South of the Mason Dixon line. I think the furthest South he's ever coached is Georgetown. Um, but he was just, they, they took a liking to him. He's a great interview again. So I can see why he won them over. Uh, and when he starts to tell you about his culture and his playbook and everything else, you're like, Oh my God, why would I hire somebody else? I know that's kind of where James Franklin was coming from a couple of years ago. Uh, but I just, this is the type of hire I prefer from a macro standpoint, just to like, go look for an awesome coach and hire him. Don't try to, don't take into account, like, you know, he, he knows my school, he knows my reach. And those are, those are good things. Those can be tiebreakers. But if one guy is just better than all the other candidates, hire him. I got to give again, a lot of credit to John Cohen, who's the athletic director at Mississippi state. If you don't know anything about Mississippi state, um, it, it's a very small very tight knit uh, community and it's an echo chamber Um, that happens a lot at, you know, major schools that are in tiny, tiny communities. It happens a lot with ag schools. It's a cultural dynamic on, on the identity crisis that the Mississippi schools have both with each other and sort of how they fit into the bigger SEC picture. When Cohen uh, became athletic director after Scott Strickland left for Florida, there was, a considerable amount of angst that they would go, they being the MSU would go back to kind of a good old boy structure that, that really doesn't Mm -hmm. fit in, in modern college athletics. This hire I think is a, is a referendum on that concern. There's zero concern now because what, you know, Cohen was the baseball coach. Cohen was, was a Mississippi state guy. And so everyone kind of thought they would do things in a, in some sort of old school way. But I mean, really, you look at Moorhead, and as much as guys like me and you like him because he's dynamic, because he's – we like him, I think, again, in the media. Obviously, and you guys listening can consider this to be biased, but if you're forthcoming with people like me and Bill, it makes our jobs easier. It helps us understand the sport better. So, yeah, it's not like we're in the bag, um, although I do want a cowbell. Um it's that it's that you you tend to get the benefit of the doubt in a lot of situations when you communicate well with the people who judge you. I think that works pretty much in every relationship that you have in life. Um, it's good advice in a marriage too, by the way. What are you doing, making tea? Yeah. No, that's I I did. You said cowbell. I down here in my office for my you first trip to Starkville like six years ago. I bought a little mini cowbell. So that's not a cowbell. I just grabbed it. You got to get bigger than that. It's a mini one. It's not, it's not the big one. I I did not want to buy a one year old, the giant cowbell. You got to get throatier than that. Um, yeah, 
yeah, so the thing that starts strikes me the most about this hire is uh, very, 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 very recently within the last two hours, I was discussing the ins and outs of the Greg Schiano <laughs> debacle with some Tennessee people. And one of the things that stands out, one of the things that Tennessee fans really want on the record is that they did not reject Greg Schiano specifically because of their perception of the Penn State scandal. One of the major concerns they had was Schiano's lack of ties in the South, his inability and his inexperience to really work recruiting markets in everywhere from Memphis to Birmingham to Atlanta to to Nashville to you name it. Um, it's funny. Nobody at Mississippi State is really outwardly concerned with Moorhead because there's a ton of talent stockpiled, again, relative to the history of Mississippi State, a ton. This is maybe, this is maybe one of their most talented teams ever since the, at least Jackie Sherrill. Um, yep. Joe Moorhead is a yenzer. Um, for those of you who don't know what that word means, it means someone who is very, very, very much native of Western PA and, and, Pitts, and Pittsburgh. Um, he's not a Southerner. His staff is not aggressively outwardly Mississippian or Southern. And yet uh, it's very early in returns. It's not something that we should uh, lock, in, uh, lock in our judgments on or really even add context to, even though that's what I'm doing. Mississippi State is doing really well in recruiting right now. They're doing extremely well in recruiting. They're doing better than Florida is and, and their previous head coach, considerably so. Um, so it's worked out. Obviously, uh, it doesn't strike me that it doesn't shock me that Morehead went in with a good plan. Um, but the in the here and now, Bill, enough with the the larger picture, they've got to figure out how to turn Nick Fitzgerald into his best self. Um, right. One of the things that Joe harps on, he talks about it in your article. He's ta- he's spoken with me about it multiple times. Is you can't really make someone into something they aren't. You don't ever want to fit scheme to personnel. You or I'm sorry, fit personnel to scheme. You want to fit scheme to personnel. And in Nick Fitzgerald, you do not have Trace McSorley in any way, shape, or form. But I do think that you have something that is workable. I think w- workable right. well beyond that. Also, you might have—I mean, you might have a dual quarterback situation too. It's not out of the—it's not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, I mean, he's barely started to work with Fitzgerald since Fitzgerald was still hurt in the spring. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I think the thing that he pointed out, um, among other things, is that um, he's never been like fifty-five, forty-five run pass. He's one way or the other. He's never been more than that. Like he—the—the he, the, what he likes most about his scheme is that it is very flexible to the personnel, to the strengths of the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously that'll get tested. Fitzgerald didn't throw much. He's, he's maybe the most proven rushing quarterback re- in the country returning, uh, but he's never thrown a ton. He's not terrible at throwing the ball by any means. He just wasn't asked to do it a lot. The offense that they designed, that they had going for him was very, very run forward. Um, but so, you know, this will be a test of that. And, and I mean, the whole idea here is basically like you got your pass plays and you got your run plays, but all the run plays have have pass tags slapped onto them. And those passes might be pretty easy or, or you know, easy to read and easy for footwork and all that stuff. So it's not like it's a you know, it, it's a system that a running guy should be able to still be able to, to make pretty good throws in and all that. Um, but it is going to be interesting. It is a, it is a shift. They've got a pretty experienced receiving core. Uh, they've got a big offensive line. They've got uh, a little bowling ball of a running back next to Fitzgerald back there. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see exactly how that fits. And I mean, I think he, he, well, okay. I was going to say he seemed pretty excited about it and all that too. Well, he, I mean, of course he does. He better, a new coach better be appearing excited about stuff. Um, but I, I the, the, one of the parts I wanted to point out in the piece was at the end, 
he, he jokingly called it. It was like Ocean's Eleven, like the the way his staff came together. Every single sta- uh, guy he hired was either a a guy he's hired before and liked, mm-hmm. uh, or worked with before and liked. B a former head coach, or C a Mississippi a guy with Mississippi State ties. Like he kept Terrell Buckley, the cornerbacks coach, who was with Dan Mullen there previously. Mark Hudspeth, the tight ends coach, was was uh, Louisiana Lafayette head coach. Joey Jones, special teams coordinator, was um, South Alabama's head coach last year. His offensive coordinator, or uh, excuse me, his passing game coordinator is Andrew Briner, who who succeeded him at Fordham. Um, obviously, you know, Bob Shoup has Ivy league head coaching experience and a lot of, uh, defensive coordinator experience now. Um, but it was kind of interesting just walking through like Charles Huff, the running back coach, running backs coach. He took with him from Penn state and some of his, uh, the like, quality control guys he took with him from Penn state. Um, so it, there really is a very specific reason he hired each guy. Uh, and that's, that sounds great on paper. It's kind of hard to actually pull off when you're actually having to make hires, but he seems to have pulled it off. I will say the, the Hudspeth hire is uh, an exceptional one. And a lot of people probably don't think, think so, but from a Mississippi perspective and knowing a lot, a lot of people in that state, um, in a lot of, um, specific circles, Mark Hudspeth is a, is a, is a great addition and a commanding force for those guys as Moorhead, uh, you know, acclimates to, Hey, where's Tupelo? Where is Meridian? Where is Biloxi? You know, um, right. it, it makes a lot of sense. And I think it's, um, without having specific knowledge of what's going on, I can venture a pretty strong guess that Hudspeth is, uh, the tip of the spear in recruiting. I was, it's definitely a good hire. Um, one of the things that stands out to me the most, not to get too in the weeds as if that's such a thing on the show, um, the yeah. reads on reads on reads. Um, it feels like, and I'm speaking in a very generic way that adding reads, and this is the number three bullet point, in your story um, is going to benefit Fitzgerald. It's going to give him a, basically a sense of, of total freedom as he adjusts to a system that is going to be largely different than what he ran. Mm -hmm. Uh, But just giving him options, literally not to run the option necessarily, but giving him a chance to make decisions, I think will benefit him tremendously as he adjusts throughout the year. Yeah, I mean, the whole system comes down to basically trying to force defenders to to guess incorrectly and force right. defensive coordinators to to guess incorrectly. So everything's set up on those structure. Like the the number one bullet point of the story, that this is one of the things I found most interesting just because I hadn't really talked, I hadn't written about it very much. Uh, he, I mean, he uses 11 personnel, one running back, one tight end, almost 100% of the time. Um, and the reason he does that, and this is just something you don't necessarily connect, you know, we think of offense and defense in terms of play calls, but the defensive play call is based on personnel. You can't wait until you see the formation, um, to, to really set up your defense. You have to do it on down distance and personnel. And so he basically keeps the defensive or keeps the offensive personnel exactly the same, almost hundred percent of the time. Uh, so they can't read anything from that. And, and I thought that was really interesting, but then off of that, the next step is giving the quarterbacks uh, full autonomy to put his offense in the right place, either by changing the play call beforehand or by yeah making reads, trying to get guys in conflict or whether it's a safety or an outside linebacker or a defensive end or whoever um, making him guess and then punishing for, for punishing him for whichever guess he doesn't make. So it's a very, I think it's a very core quarterback friendly system and and it should be it should coax some interesting things out of Fitzgerald you have a gif of that Penn State Michigan game um and it's a it's a pass on a design run and I remember the play exactly I was at that game and 
what I take from like my lasting memory of that game is how silly and otherwise competent Michigan secondary looked and how out of place it looked when you're actually in the, when you're in the press box and you have the full view of the field, how much space was created, especially on a lot of those, a lot of those throws out of runs and vice versa. It was, it was really, really, really impressive. And keep in mind, Penn state was what second, third in the nation at this point. Like we were talking about a national title contender. Um, I know obviously they took some L's, but like uh, at the time, I mean, that was really the height of it. And that was when it was, it was just absolutely a blast to watch them play football. Yeah. You still have to have talent in the end. Um, you still, because defenses can still like if they, if they go to man instead of zone, uh, then they can take away a lot of the run pass option stuff. Cause a lot of that is like a safety in conflict because he has pass responsibilities and run responsibilities. If you're playing mm-hmm. man coverage, that's not the case. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't, it can still, you can still run a run pass option, but it's not going to be the, the, the spirit of it isn't quite there unless they're playing zone. Uh, so you can still do the things like that. You can still dictate which reads the quarterback makes. We saw that at the end of last season, a lot with uh, defenses playing Alabama uh, and, and basically dictate, uh, you know, dictating that Jalen hurts read, uh, read keeper every single time mm-hmm. uh, and containing him that way. So there are still, th- you know, defenses still have moves to make here and you have to have the, per- the personnel to, make plays and and punish the defense for the choices it makes uh but it does kind of seem like mississippi state has that and and at least this year and um yeah i'm just really there are teams at every conference that i'm really curious about watch this segue by the way get it for the for the sec mississippi state is definitely uh probably number one on the list definitely probably that's I hedge even when I'm making a, a random statement. Um, it's it's probably number one on my list in the SEC. Number one, I think, on the on my list for the ACC, which I am previewing now at SBNation.com. Smooth. Boom. Um, number one is probably Florida State. We can talk about Florida State. Um, that, that preview goes up tomorrow morning. Um, currently, mm. Bud Elliott. Uh, this is I love writing about Florida State because I can say, "Hey, Bud, check this out before I publish it," and he'll go through and and you yes. know grade it basically. Um, <laughs> that'll go up tomorrow morning. Uh, but they are Florida State is uh, really really. Well, I, I, okay, I should back up. The ACC is fascinating this year as a whole. Um, because so far I've pre- let's see how many teams have I previewed so far. Um, we are looking at I, I the Duke preview went up this morning. That was preview numbers. God, I've already done seven. Jeez, eighty um, basically, huh? Eighty teams, seven uh, ACC teams. Sorry. No, I, oh, I thought uh, you meant how many teams total have you previewed? I was oh just no, guessing. I previewed that Duke was number one hundred nine. We've got Jeez. we've got. 21 to go. Um, but so I've done seven ACC teams so far, all seven. I basically said exactly the same thing. A, Hey, this is a potential top 40 team right here. If they get the breaks, right. And B, the schedule is loaded with potential top 40 teams. They're probably going to go about six and six. Um, Every single one of those teams so far, from Duke to BC to Georgia Tech to Pitt to Virginia's got Virginia and Syracuse. I'm slightly less sure about, but they both have a chance for sure. North Carolina has actually got experience, and and their whole two deep isn't banged up, so they should be pretty good again. Florida State's the first team I previewed, uh, and and again that'll go up tomorrow morning. That I, that I felt had upside beyond about seven wins. Now, as, from an S and P projection standpoint, they're projected to win seven. I think they're over under from Vegas is seven and a half. Um, 
but like the, the just the jolt of energy that they're going to get from a new staff, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the staleness that was there last year that had already started to work itself out when they were, when they improved late in the year, just, I, I think new energy, they're gonna have a lot of sophomore defenders who are probably going to screw up a few times, but could, but will probably make a ton of plays in the process. Really, really like, uh, you know, I'm just excited to see Florida state too, just because I'm, I'm pretty sure they're going to be really good. I'm not completely sure they're going to be volatile either way. And they're just going to be fun again. I, I went back and I, I the, my previous five Florida state previews, I used the word fun once and I'm pretty liberal with that word. I used it once talking about Florida state and it was just talking about the Florida state, Michigan orange bowl from the year before. Um, they just, there hasn't been fun there. It doesn't seem like it's, it was fun to play. You know, Jimbo Fisher never looked like he was having fun. The, the, the system, you know, the receivers were always pretty good, but never seemed to improve all that much. Uh, there, there are just a lot of things that it, it, it felt like they were leaving both points and just entertainment on the table. So I was very, it could get very frustrated, frustrating watching Florida state. Sometimes don't think that's going to be the case this year. I think Willie's going to have some fun with them. Okay. Uh, in the interest of total transparency as someone who's working on a Florida state story, um, oh. for the start of the season, uh, I'm just gonna I set you up for that. And I didn't even know I was going to use the podcast in the laziest possible way, which is I'm going to essentially interview my coworker on this. What exactly makes them <laughs> fun? Now I can sit here and speak automatically having not gone down to tally yet and say, well, culturally it's this culturally it's that, uh, Jimbo leaving. I think, I don't even know if I mean this as an insult, Bill, and I don't really think I do. I just think the way Jimbo Fisher has acquitted himself the last five to seven years, I think him leaving any situation is going going to make it more fun. And I'm not trying to speak ill of Jimbo. I just think that there was a burden of expectations as he succeeded Bowden. I think there was a just critical mass of stress around that national title and then with Jameis, and it just never seemed to leave that program. So I guess I, I'm I know – they're going to be more relaxed, but when you say fun, are we just talking about football? Yeah. yeah yes. I mean, we're talking specifically about football. Uh, number one, the volatility involved this year where you've got a young roster uh, and an explosive roster that's going to, you know, explode on the launch pad a few times. That is inherently fun, even if it's not always fun for FSU fans. But even beyond that, Florida State was also frustrating and that they, you know, and, and Bud even wrote about this last year. Um they, when you have a talent advantage, you don't have to go like, uh, you know, Bryles fast. You don't have to go Josh Heupel fast, but when you have one of these slowest tempos in the country, as FSU did most years and as FSU especially did last year when James Blackman took over, um, they didn't simplify really any much of anything for him uh, as a true freshman in a pretty complicated system. They just slowed down even further, which meant like no margin for error. It meant minimal possessions. It meant, uh, you know, if you screw up once, it's kind of like screwing up twice because you're, you're just not going to get the ball that m- many more times. It was just frustrating because when you've got the athleticism and talent advantage as they normally do, you should at least be operating at an average tempo. Alabama a- operates at an average tempo uh, and, and get up into that, like, 13 14 15 16 possession range because you have more margin for error than your opponent and i and i kind of just hate it when teams go out of their way not to do that so the simple fact that florida state's going to have a bunch of young explosive dudes and nyquan murray who's not young he's a senior but he might 
he, he's flashed potential for a couple of years now. Maybe he actually gets to flash a little bit more of that potential this year. When you've got these talented advantages and these fun players, walk with pace to the line of scrimmage and, and get a couple more possessions and 10 or 15 more plays out of the deal um, just to maximize whatever you can. It just frustrates me when a team like that doesn't at least try a little bit to maximize their advantage. Everybody throws around this concept of dream job. And again, like I'm not going to sit here and pick apart the football parts of this just yet, but like Willie Tiger got his dream job. And on top of that, I'm not talking about like Dan Mullen called Florida, his dream job because it was the biggest job that he was ever going to get a chance at. And he had experience (laughs) there and he was with Tebow there, but like Willie Taggart grew up at a particular time in a particular place in Florida, in a particular community in the like North of Miami African American community where Florida state was a like borderline lifestyle. I mean, it was a, it was a, (laughs) it was a representation. We talk a lot about college sports and sports in general as tribalism, but like, man, you really felt it in that time and place in Florida in the late eighties and early nineties about like you were, you were a knoll or you were a cane and then you had some gators and then the Gator thing kind of takes off later in a separate way because of the conferences and the rivalries that didn't play. This guy has his dream job in a way that like, I mean, honestly, if you're listening to this, think of your favorite sports team. Think of all of the things you loved about your favorite sports team at your most energetic moment of your life. And I don't want to say most youthful moment, but when you had the most passionate optimism in your life about your sports team and think about like, you know, everything from the logos on the jackets that you wore or the shirts to, you know, the music you listened to during that time or the players that were there. And then imagine being handed that team. And I, I mean, that's basically what's going through Taggart's head right now. I've been communicating with him a little bit since February. And every time I talk to him now, there's, there's definitely some, some sticker shock on, on like what major, college football culture is and that's not an insult to oregon it's just that you're you have a fishbowl lifestyle in like 25 to 30 places in college football and oregon's not one of them i think it's why chip (laughs) kelly built the the empire that he did there was because you are afforded a little bit more anonymity and a little bit more privacy um but taggart you know the family being from there knowing the culture it's it's neat it's it is infectious to be around he's undefeated right now all of this bill changes on a dime if they get their asses handed to them on Labor Day, Labor Day weekend or Labor Day night, whatever, in Blacksburg. Yeah, I mean, especially with that Virginia Tech team dealing with the issues it's got on defense. Yes, exactly. So, so you know, everybody's undefeated right now, so everybody's at their most optimistic self. It's honestly, it's I, I'm you know, none of us are burnt out yet, and the weather's nice, and the sun doesn't set until late in the evening, and all of those things make this my favorite really my favorite time of the college football season, honestly, is right now. Yeah. And, yeah. and to um, talk about yeah. Florida state being, you know, exciting or fun. It is, it is strange. And uh, it's strange to see something that genuine at the head coaching level, because we're just so conditioned to watching these people go into these like executive style approaches to these jobs. Like, all of the, I mean, almost every one of the head coaches in the SEC, the new head coaches, maybe not Matt Luke because that was such a strange circumstance and he's an alumnus as well. But, I mean, they, they treat these things like they've taken over an, another Fortune 500 company. And, you know, Taggart knows that he has a Fortune, you know, 20 company, but he also knows that, like, 
God, he loves it. You know, like I'm seeing the videos where like Deion Sanders comes back on campus and that stuff wasn't really around or relevant, you know, during, during the Jimbo era. What's strange yeah, Bill, I mean, is to transpose is Jimbo. What kind of culture is going on right now at, in college station? All we know about Jimbo, uh, in college station is that he thought Kevin Sumlin's office looked like a nightclub or whatever that line was. Um, so there's yeah, going to be a culture shift there too. Uh, but no, I mean, I think that like I've Jimbo, seen that quote in some various form Yeah, uh, against every member of the leech tree. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> yeah. that, that was an easy bucket for, for Jimbo, but whatever. Well, but I think that also kind of does emphasize like he's, he's business here. He's not, he doesn't care about fun. You know, he doesn't care about having fun. He just needs to win. And, and I do think that even if Taggart himself, I don't want to pretend like he's not a hard ass too or anything. Um, but just the style, I think just the style he's going to try to implement because the, the more he opened things up, the more tempo he implemented into his offensive system, the better he did. It's been that way for a couple mm-hmm. of years now. Um, Oregon's team last year, again, I've said this a few times, but just as a reminder, when, when Taggart was there, so not including the bowl game, and Justin Herbert was healthy, they averaged 52 points a game, and they went 6-1. and one. Um, And that was with personnel that, you know, there, there was a lot, there were a lot of new coaches that they were dealing with a lot of change and a sophomore quarterback uh, and they were dominant. So I think the upside, they got to pick a quarterback um, and that could be weird. Uh, you know, that, that that's always a, a kind of a weird thing because you've got two guys, two sophomores who have very strong cases to make in that regard. Um, but if that doesn't, inc- if that doesn't create any more waves than it has to, that's going to, that offense is going to be fun as hell this year. The defense should be a lot of fun too, even though it really will have some glitches along the way. All right, Bill, we're going to talk a lot more about Florida state. Uh, we're going to talk a lot more about that game on Liberty weekend. Um, just let's do the normal shtick on these conference things. I don't really like to read them until the end. I love to pick apart your tears. I don't know why I love your tears, Bill. Um, Oh. Tell me about as we are in media rest on your uh, ACC preview. Tell me things I need to know. I see a friendly picture of David Cutcliffe on the college football. Oh, that's a great picture on the college yeah. football page on SB Nation. Um, Duke. By the way, nothing in that preview surprised me at all. Um, they're just quietly reliable. He finally found well, his Volvo factory. <laughs> well, the other thing about Duke, though, is like, you know, in last year's preview, I basically said, yeah, they might eke out a bowl bid, but watch out for 2018. Mm-hmm. And basically, by the way, I should pat myself or pat S&P plus on the back. Um, Duke was predicted predicted to uh, go 60 to rank 65th in S&P plus last year and win 5.4 games on average. Uh, they went they ranked 65th and won six games. So, boom. Um, but beyond there. that, put like, that brag on. Damn right. Uh, but there are a ton of sophomores, a ton of sophomores and juniors, I guess. Uh, and a lot and quite a few freshmen on, on defense too. Like the whole idea of 2017 for Duke was to build into something really impressive for 2018. Uh, and I think they will like they're, they're in S and P, which we know has Duke <laughs> read perfectly. and will never, ever be wrong about Duke. Um, has them improving from 65th to 40th, uh, you know, defensively they should be like, I, I wish they hadn't lost Jim Knowles to Oklahoma state. Like I feel a little more confident yeah. about this. But they should have, they could have a, a top thirty level defense if there isn't some sort of weirdness there in that transition. He promoted from within, so maybe there won't be. I swear to God, um, Bill, if Oklahoma State offense, is is noticeably better on defense, and or mm-hmm. enters a situation in which the defense secures a, a win against a major opponent on the top half of conference play, 
So like your TCU, OU, Texas, whatever, um, they will find a way not to credit that back to David Cutcliffe. I swear to God. <laughs> That'll also be the first time somebody hired away a Cutcliffe assistant and he actually succeeded. So that is something Damn to watch. Bill. You know, Kurt Roper had some moments. <laughs> plays, specific plays, yes. Uh, but I mean, Roper's one. Scotty Montgomery obviously is struggling. Mike McIntyre is like, off the Cutcliffe tree. Not from Duke, he's not. Okay, let me so let me specify Duke assistance. Recent, yeah, recent okay, Duke okay, assistant. Okay. Um, uh, Matt Luke is uh, coached at Duke. When TBD, <laughs> uh, he was on the staff briefly. Oh, okay, sure. I, I uh, damn it, I will stop the podcast and find out. Hang on, this is exactly what uh, Wikipedia was made for. Yeah, it's well, it's how fast can Google Fiber get me there. Boom. Uh, yeah, 2008 to 2011 before Hugh Freeze came in. Man, don't bust me on Mississippi trivia. Man. Yeah, he was so, the co-OC and the O-line coach at Duke for three years. Nice. Well, um, David Cutcliffe. I'll take your word for that because I am struggling right now with uh, – let me tell you how, how hard it is to be a writer when the T key on your keyboard has 99% given out. Uh-oh. I just tried to type in Mike Matt Luke into Wikipedia and Ma Luke didn't actually produce any results for me. So you, you beat me to it. Um, yeah. I mean, Scotty Montgomery looks pretty bad. Cause I think two episodes ago that some, someone asked a question. They were like, give, give us a likely firing. Give us, give us a guaranteed yeah. firing. And that was my first one. Yeah. The two, um, he, he and Beatty, the two that probably could have been fired already. Yeah. Those you have to start there, but um. But I no, still I mean, maintain. So I still maintain. What are we? Forty days out, Bill. There's going to uh, be a weird firing in the next forty days. Sure, well, Something I'm sure, good. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's always a team that starts the year and you're like, oh, like that, like uh, June Jones SMU a couple of years ago. We're like, oh mm-hmm. wow, they they didn't even go through fall camp, did they? Yeah. Um, I'm just no, saying. I, look, I, I'm saying it could be earlier than that. You never know. There <laughs> well, could be a freezing. All right, well, DJ Durkin has some questions to ask at the moment or answer at the moment at Maryland, but that's another story. Uh, but I will say, like, when, when your assistants go elsewhere and kind of fail, that does say at least a little something about the culture you've built at the school you are in. Uh, and, and I mean, Cutcliffe, it's hard to worry too much about uh, assistant coach turnover until one actually does cause him to regress a little bit. But I think uh, – well, I say that, but I mean, they, they dipped after, I mean, he lost Roper and Scott and Montgomery. Their offense hadn't been all that great. So maybe it, it had an effect in that way, but they're still threatening to go to a bowl every year at Duke. And that, that's amazing in and of itself. Uh, but all that said, like top 40 team Duke could be the best team they've had since they won the, the coastal division that one year, their, their win projection per S and P plus six, because they play at Northwestern at mm-hmm. Baylor, Virginia tech at home at Georgia tech, Virginia at home, which should be a win, but they, but again, Virginia has a chance to be pretty good, especially defensively at Pittsburgh at Miami, North Carolina at home at Clemson, wake forest at home within that stretch. And then army, by the way, to start the season, which they're, uh, you know, S and P has them a two touchdown favorite in, but we know uh, that, well, a S and P projections undervalue service academies and B uh Army's tough. So basically they have one sure win NC central. They've got one sure loss at Clemson and they have 10 games that they're going to have to fight tooth and nail in. And that's, uh, that's rough. And that's every freaking team in the ACC this year. There are no definitively absolutely going to be bad teams in the ACC this year. All right, let's put a pin in Georgia attacking BC for a second. Uh, Virginia real fast also just kind of strikes me as, um, you know, when you drive by like a new shopping center or a hotel or something, and it says like, 
for instance, it would say like coming July of 2018. And you're like, wait, that's now. And that, that, that building doesn't even have a roof. Like that's basically where we're at with Virginia. Is that fair to say right now? Uh, yeah, I mean, they figured out some advantages. They they got to five wins pretty quickly last year. They they squeaked out. They got a, a sixth later on. They got to a bowl. That was a nice step for them. But they were still, by the end of the year, I think the way I put it in the preview was by the end of the year, they looked a lot more like the 2-10 and 10 team from the year before yeah. uh, than any sort of like major up-and-coming squad. They just didn't have the depth. And, I mean, Bronco Mendenhall being weird and honest in the way that he is, he comes out and says to whoever that was, like a, a – touchdown club or something there in, uh-huh. in Charlottesville basically says, yeah, we've got about 27 players who should pl- be playing in the ACC right now. Um, and that's, I, I mean, maybe that's a little on the low side, but that is their problem right now. They just don't have the depth yet defensively. I, I mean, th- their defense was good. La- it's Br- it's Bronco men and all their defense was good last year. Solid last year, at least had a couple glitches, but they were mostly solid. Uh, and they should be very solid this year. They, they lose some defensive linemen, but they have some really interesting replacement candidates, even if they don't necessarily have depth, uh, their back eight's going to be awesome. Um, uh, but, but they can't, they couldn't move the ball last year and they might not be able to move the ball this year. That's going to be the, if they have a slightly overachieving offense, they're easily at least a six or seven win team. But there's really until they actually overachieve offensively, there's no reason to just like predict that that's going to happen. Okay, 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 okay. Enough Virginia. I was trying to glance by because the team I'm interested in. No, I, I don't glance by. I don't glance by. We know uh, Pittsburgh. This is the team yes. I'm interested in. Um, okay. Lasting memory of Pittsburgh for most people that probably aren't Pittsburgh fans: upsetting Miami, right? That's yep. probably what you remember. Uh, and the week before that, they got stopped at the one yard line. They were about to upset Virginia Tech too. Yes. Um, however, as you point out in your preview, lost to Youngstown State, Youngstown State twice. Almost lost. Almost lost. Uh, sorry, almost. Sorry, almost lost to Youngstown State. I, I still can't say it. Youngstown State. What the? Yeah, I always like these minor aneurysms in the middle of recording the show. Um, <laughs> I'm not taking that out. Uh, no, don't at all. Uh, f- uh, five and seven, deceptively five and seven, in my opinion. Um, they struggle, but they're also really kind of good. And they're sort of a precipice team, but man, they've got a nasty schedule this year. Yep. What's going on here? It feels like yeah, it's I think- like it, it, if you're not paying attention to certain numbers, it looks like a breakout kind of thing, but the odds aren't great on that. Right. I mean, it's, yeah, of the teams I've previewed, they probably have the most upside simply because a, they should finally have a defense that sort of looks like a Pat Narduzzi defense. Uh, they finally, he finally has the experience where he needs it to be. I mean, he was still playing like a couple freshmen in key roles on the defensive line last year, sophomores and freshmen in the secondary, but now he's finally like what, like nine starters back, 10 starters, maybe, uh, most of the second strings back. I, I, I could see them, like taking a definitive at least into like the top 50 this year defensively. So then, I mean, you, t- you compare, you combine that with this tiny little sample that we got of Kenny Pickett running Pitt's offense last year, where he, d- he shows up uh, early in the Virginia tech game, almost beats Virginia tech and does beat Miami. I mean, he, they weren't scoring 50 points or anything, um, but he came in and immediately re- you know, beat the stats that Ben DiNucci had been posting for most of the year. Uh, they've got an explosive running back in Darren Hall. They got most. They don't have their one big play guy in the receiving core uh, back, and that's a problem. But they've got a lot of experience in the receiving core. Uh, and then they've got a decent, some decent experience on the offensive line that they do. They're going to have to rely on a Kent State transfer, maybe at least, uh, to to kind of fill in. So, 
<laughs> that seems like an awesome offense. God, there really are a lot um, of teams in this conference that have a wide, wide range of delightfully yeah. surprised at the end of the year or seriously concerned about, about well, their particular the, 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 rebuilding the issue, effort. The issue is that like everybody in the conference last year was good for a month, but like Duke you know, started four and lost six in a row, then finished strong. Pitt started poorly, finished strong. Florida state started poorly, finished strong, but then you had like Virginia started strong and then finished poorly. And like, so all these teams had these stretches where you're like, damn, that's, that's potential top 30 teams soon. And not clearly not all of them right. will be, but it's, but, but at this stage in the off season, you can't really tell which one won't be. I, I, I think a lot of people are still pretty low on Virginia and I understand that, but I think with that defense, they're still going to have a chance to, to beat some teams that then go, man, we shouldn't have lost that. But game. When you have a conference where the, where you have a substantial middle and everyone in the middle seems to be in the exact same situation at the exact same time, it's a recipe for disaster because if you have teams that are on staggered courses, right? Uh, this staff isn't going to work out. This, this maybe they peaked here. Da, da. When you have this bunch of teams, like you said, that were momentarily good and showed flashes and then and then regressed, every fan base and every AD has the exact same expectations going into 2018, <laughs> and they're all going to bump up against each other. So you're going to have a yeah. in this sort of soup of like Duke and Pittsburgh and uh, Virginia and Wake Forest and maybe even NC State. Like you're going to have. Uh, someone who blows out those expectations and has the 10 win season and someone who's going to, you know, we're going to have a trash fire, maybe one or two really good trash fires in the ACC this year. Yeah. I mean, the projections so far have previewed seven teams. They've all, pre- I believe projected between 4.9 and 6.1 yeah, wins. According that's, to that's terrifying. And that's, that's nuts. And I mean, again, even as uh, FSU is only like seven. So yeah, somebody, but bottom line is somebody has to lose these. Okay. Well, all right. Be really all interesting. Right. What if it's the opposite? What if we don't have like easily identifiable trajectories? What if you don't have the, the handful of like a, a nine? And you have a bunch of six and six. What if we go back to the old ACC? Right. And that's, that'll be funny because the, that, that'll, people will react as if that means the conference stinks. Uh, because everybody's going six and uh-huh. six when it really is instead one of those situations where everybody's just beating each other up. I could um, definitely see this particular podcast in about five months going into a great detail to explain why a crop of seven, seven win teams is better than the right. previous crop of seven, seven win teams. And this is why, by the way, this is why I hate, um, the, like I've, I've, you know, I suddenly had a burst of radio, uh, the last couple of weeks with, you know, people starting to actually talk about college football again. And I've gotten asked a couple of times from different people, the, I like, which conference is going to be left out of the playoff this year. And I hate it because mm-hmm. I know what they're asking is basically like, let's talk about which conferences stink. Yeah. Who sucks. Uh, Right. But that's not what that means. The big 10 was left out of the the playoff last year uh, because you know, it's, it's best team lost twice once to a big 10 team. And you know, you can have a ton, you can be the best conference in the country and end up with a bunch of six and six teams or a bunch of 10 and two teams uh, and miss the playoff and look mediocre, but still be awesome. So it's just, I, I don't like that line of thinking, which conferences are going to be left out uh, because it's just, it's not about that. Uh, Bill. We'll wrap up the ACC yeah. next week. We'll talk about that top end. Um, I got a bold prediction type of situation coming where I'm going to do the time capsule thing, uh, probably in August. The one that like I'm not even going to throw in there because it's not really fun to talk about. But you say what you want about the ACC. Obviously, I think Clemson's going to win the national title. So um, it does have it does have a um, man. 
I guess that's an outlier. I don't know. But it's strange to talk about this conference and not mention Clemson now. Because man, it just well, right. I just haven't pre- I haven't previewed. I know Clemson it just yet. changes yeah, the way you look at them, and it, I, I really do think it is a rising tide that floats all boats. I know you may not feel that way if you're a fan of one of these other schools, but Bill, we're sponsored again by Fourhims.com. It's a new wellness brand for men. If you listen to podcasting, play nobody for any significant amount of time in 2018, you've heard us talk about Fourhims.com. Of course, 66 percent of men have, will lose their hair by the age of 35, and the the deadly silent killer of man hair is that but by the time you actually notice the hair loss bill it's too late it's too late for me godfrey it's too late i'll go on without you um as a hairline slowly begins to move backwards or a bald spot develops you need to go ahead and get that treatment that's what forhims.com does and in addition to many other things it is a one-stop shop for hair loss for men's uh skincare and for sexual wellness um, what they do is they connect you with real doctors. They offer real medical-grade solutions, real treatment plans. Um, they have generic equivalents to a lot of the name-brand prescriptions that are probably not covered uh, by your insurance because this is considered to be cosmetic. So it's definitely something to check out. There's no waiting room. You don't have to go to a doctor. You don't have to get in your car and go anywhere. Um, you do actually interact with medical professionals. So everything's shipped directly to your door. Uh, and order now. There is a podcast, Ain't Played Nobody special. So if you order, you can listen. Uh, our listeners get a trial month of For Hims, Dadcom, for just $5 right now while supplies last. You can check out the website for details, and the value is estimated to be hundreds of dollars when you throw in pharmacy, when you throw in the doctor visits, when you throw in the premium price of prescriptions. So go to forhimscom slash nobody. That's forhims F-O-R-H-I-M-S, dot com slash nobody. Again, one more time, Bill. It is forhims.com slash nobody. Um, you get uh, a trial month. Five bucks. Hey, Godfrey, we have something else to promote, too. Uh, here is a quick little promo for a new podcast uh, with the Vox.com portion of Vox Media. Arthur Brooks is the president of American Enterprise Institute. Uh, he has a new podcast about People disagreeing with each other and how to do it nicely. But anybody who's listening to this show, you already know how to. You've already gotten your lessons uh, about that from us. But, you know, if you want more, here's Arthur Brooks. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a new podcast, The Arthur Brooks Show. That's me, Arthur Brooks. And I'm the president of the American Enterprise Institute, a think tank in Washington, D.C. I see bitter disagreement all the time. And it's terrible. We need some way to disagree, not less, but better. So this is a series that looks at the art of disagreement. The first episode is out July 12th. Find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And most of all, subscribe right now. Um, Real quick before we get to questions, Bill. Yo. uh, Go ahead, take a stand up, take a stretch. I want you to pat yourself on the back. I'm going to do the same. Uh, We can take as much ownership as we want of the following story. Um, I feel like anyone listening to this podcast can do the same. Do you know what's going on in Birmingham, Alabama? In Birmingham, uh, yeah. there's a little, there's a little, uh, little engine that could kind of school there. Let's spot some tides. Young Alex Kirshner writes for SB Nation. The UAB Blazers didn't play football in 25 or 2016 amid some murky budgetary decision making by the University of Alabama Board of Trustees. The program shutdown was devastating, and it was exciting when the team rose from the grave in 2017 and made a bowl game. Now the Blazers' future seems more secure. 
The same board of trustees that shut down the program less than four years ago recently reached a lease deal with the builders of a new stadium in downtown Birmingham. Those builders have now sold a bunch of bonds to help fund the planned $175 million venue, meaning UAB's new home will actually get built. We did it! You got to do better with this cowbell. I'm trying not to. It sounds like like you dropped iced tea. She's scared of loud noises. I'm trying not to freak her out. Uh, she just she was just with her tongue out. I was really just I, I wanted to get the point across. I don't have the air horn thing on my phone. Mississippi so State, Mississippi State Illuminati. I know you monitor me. I want a cowbell. I want <laughs> no, a cowbell. I do not. I do not need a bigger cowbell. I want a real cowbell. I want a good cowbell. I want a substantial one. I want a substantial cowbell. But to do that, you'll have to give somebody the address to your house so they can send it to you. Yeah, trust me, there's way more Mississippi State people that know where I live than I would like, believe me. (laughs) Um, UAV's got a new stadium. It's going to be really cool. Downtown Birmingham has done a tremendous amount of work on itself in recent years. Um, uh, When I Sometimes I legitimately pick at the SEC. Sometimes I do it in jest. And when I like to just have fun, we always talk about that stupid baseball tournament in Hoover and how lazy everyone is in the league office. They won't move it around. But there's a really cool double-A baseball stadium in downtown Birmingham now where the Barons play. Don't ask me who they're affiliated with. And it's one of the things when you get older and you, you don't really follow baseball, it, like all these minor league teams around here, I found out the other day that Nashville's team, I've probably taken my kids to like seven or eight minor league baseball games in two years because it's cheap and they can run around. I had no idea what team they're affiliated with. None at all. <laughs> I think it's Oakland now. I don't know. Anyway, there's a really cool baseball stadium in downtown Birmingham. I think this is going to go in near it. Um, there's going to be stuff around this stadium. It's properly sized. We won't get into the just the ridiculous amount of Legion Field jokes that could be made and Alabama jokes that could be made. And shout out to Finnish St. John and shout out to Paul Jr. And shout out to all the other a-holes who did the dumbest thing possible, which was turning a tiny little mission into a national crusade. Because now UAB is probably one of the most <laughs> it's probably one of the most popular um, my other teams in the entire nation. I, I believe that. I mean, maybe I'm biased because of the audience of this podcast sort of cheering them on. But um, they literally went out of their way as the most powerful, you know, football university in the entire sport to crush a, a team that didn't need crushing. You'd already you'd already leaned on them for years. They were so inconsequential. But by by fixating upon it for whatever stupid reason, they've now turned them into something so much better and more powerful. Still not powerful enough to affect anything to do in Alabama and Tuscaloosa. But um, I just think this is a fantastic ending to uh, a, a really weird story. So bravo to you, UAB. We don't have to break down UAB right now. But it's also kind of a cool-looking stadium. I'm really yeah. I'm I'm very much a fan of the new movement to scale appropriately and build an inviting facility versus like everything has to be a hundred thousand seat cathedral because as someone who spent a lot of time in the in the big churches, like most of the user experience there sucks. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, and just also I've been to a lot of like 60% full university of Tennessee games in the last five years. Um, <laughs> there is definitely something to be said for taking a, you know, 15 to 30,000 seat venue, making the lines tight around the field and packing it in with people and doing a little bit of architectural work, whatever that is 
to where you keep the noise in with that small amount of people. It's one, it's why in my top 10 stadiums in college football, uh, Nippert at Cincinnati is in there because it's, it's beautiful. It's historic. Um, it has one of the best sight lines or, or like, uh, I guess city vistas around it with a combination of Cincinnati and then the campus. And it's an architecture school. Um, I don't know if all this will happen for UAB, but, um, it's a neat little rendering. I'm, I'm just, I'm proud of the Blazers. Eat it, Paul Jr. Eat it hard. <laughs> Eat it so hard. So speaking of Tennessee, yo, another segue. Um, we, we, we're going to hit this one really fast because we got like 70 questions, haven't answered a single one of them today. Uh, we're good. I really got time. Quickly, really quickly. I got time. Uh, this Aaron is Murray. weird. Aaron Murray kind of sort of said things that I've heard from a lot of people about Jeremy Pruitt. And uh, Jeremy Pruitt doesn't like it very much. And we've got ourselves beef. At the yeah, let me get my, <clears throat> my reading voice. You ready? Um, okay, long story short, Aaron Murray used to play quarterback at Georgia. Jeremy Pruitt used to be the defensive coordinator at Georgia. For a time, they overlapped with one another. This all really centers around Mark Rick. Aaron Murray was interviewed by a 102 point, uh, 102.5 the game in Nashville. Um, I guess, full disclosure, I was a substitute host on their morning show for the, uh, the entire month. Never get up that early. Bill's an idiot. Murray says, quote, I don't know if his personality is fit to being a head fit to be a head coach. I don't. Obviously, he's talking about Pruitt here. Quote, as a head coach, there's so many things that go into it. It's not just going out there and coaching. You have to deal with the front office. You've got to talk with the president of the university. You have to deal with boosters. You have to deal with the offense, the defense. It's not just going in there and dealing with the kids and scheming up. There's a lot that goes into it. I don't think he's the right kind of guy to be a CEO of a corporation. He's really good. Uh, he's really good managing just a defense and being a defensive coordinator. He needs to prove to me that he can handle the whole ship. For right now, I don't think he can. We'll see what happens this year. I don't think it helps that he doesn't have a lot of talent at Tennessee. Um, a couple things real fast, Bill, before we get to the other part of this quote. Um, I think right now it's legitimate that you could say, Aaron, how much do you really know about being a defense coordinator and a head coach? And while you were there, you were on the offensive side of the ball. Also, I do think there's talent at Tennessee. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, probably not enough in the right places to do anything mm-hmm. massive but I mean, there is raw talent at Tennessee. Yeah. Um, now phase two of this quote is where you get to the reality. Sipping my Pensacola one second. All right. So this is where the, this is where the beef actually stems from quote. When he was at Georgia, the way he acted, the way he treated coach Rick, I thought was poor. He wasn't as respectful as I thought a defensive coordinator should be to a head coach. That's my thing. Comma with authority. I don't really understand what he's saying yeah. there. When he's dealing with the athletic director, when he's dealing with the president, when he's dealing with a booster who has given millions of dollars, you can't go tell him to screw <laughs> off. You have to take the meeting. You have to sit down with them. Yeah, I know you want to be game planning and getting ready for the game, but you're a head coach now. You have to do these other things. Whoo! Salty. I, um, I mean, that's when you're when you're Aaron Murray and your model of a head coach is Mark Richt. Uh, yeah, you're not going to like Jeremy Pruitt very much. Um, a lot of different types of head coaches can be successful, but I don't think like, I mean, everything that he said right there, uh, we've uh, kind of jives with everything we've heard before. Like there, you know, he was national national champion defensive coordinator at Florida state. uh, And then Jimbo let him walk the next year over to Georgia um, without really fighting all that hard to keep him. And that, that always said something. It basically, everything we've heard is basically that like he goes somewhere else and he says, this isn't Alabama. This is ridiculous. We need Alabama. Um, and if you're a head coach, if he can turn Tennessee into that, if he can get the, all the, the wheels turning and, and get enough credibility built, uh, built up to where he can, 
well, to where he can turn Tennessee into Alabama, great. But it, it, it does feel like he rubs people the wrong way awfully quickly, and we'll see how that translates to being a head coach. David Pollock, obviously the ESPN analyst, former dog, one of the most beloved dogs in Georgia history. Quote, to address Aaron's comment, because I think it needs to be addressed a little bit. I think he said this on one of the SEC shows. The stories that I've heard and some of y'all have heard that came out of Athens that are true from coaches that were on the staff, some of the things Jeremy Pruitt did to Mark Richt, some coaches would tell you are the most disrespectful, most yep. crazy things they heard, Pollock said, on the set of SEC Now. Okay, so there's that. And then finally, here's a tweet. Um, this is, I don't know, there's a couple messages here. Basically, this is what he, so Pruitt said this when he was on the podium or one of the stops in the SEC uh, Media Days thing. Uh, he says, I don't really know Aaron. I had a lot of respect for him as a player, but I will say I was a kindergarten coach 15 years ago, and now I'm the head coach at Tennessee. That don't happen if you don't treat people well. Okay. <clears throat> Yeah, we'll see. Like, I, I do think it really you, – you were talking last week about, like, them putting a lot of stock in that Florida game. I do think a lot of Pruitt's success – I never – I always talk about year zero. I never try to take the, the first year very seriously. But with his personality and the buttons he's going to be pushing and, and how hard he's probably going to be trying to push to move things forward, he's going to need some goodwill. He's going to need to stock up on some goodwill. Yeah. And so it'll be really – like, if he can get a couple of, of, of nice uh, – not, uh, rivalry wins or semi-rivalry wins. If he can overachieve a little bit this first year, that'll go a long way uh, towards him achieving kind of what he wants to. I think. I've never heard of a rift involving Mark Richt. Period. Until this, <laughs> yeah. in, until yeah. this Pruitt <laughs> thing. Um, while it was going on, it was weird. Um, it was weird when it was over. He has moved around a lot. Um, I do think Rick operates uh, a staff in a way in which someone might be able to take advantage of a guy who I think is more naturally benevolent. Um, you know, Saban sucks emotion, and I'm not trying to be, make a joke or be insulting or anything. Saban just sort of takes emotion out of the situation. And right. so, and, and also, no human being in college sports has more equity and more power in their current institution. I mean, Pruitt if he would have attempted to pull this crap and <laughs> instantly vaporized. Um, yeah. So yeah, I've heard varying things, nothing that I would say even on the podcast, because I don't want to add any credence to something that I don't know for sure. But um, it was, it was an acrimonious situation. Uh, Pruitt has a reputation there. He was very much a, let's just say he was a dissenting voice in some of the things that went on in Georgia. While <laughs> a good way there. to put it. Yeah. A very good way to put it. Um, I'm trying to be diplomatic here, but, uh, does any of this matter with Tennessee? No. Um, does, is Aaron Murray right about a lot of what he said? Yeah, I think the front end of that quote is very, very, very true. Um, yeah. And the the biggest jump is 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 always when you go from, I think, career coordinator to head coach because your job yeah, I mean, just, is so different and it's more different than you'll ever actually know until you do it. Yeah, his describing of the move um... – is exactly right, and it's why some core it's it's why some career coordinators don't are great at one job but can't be head coaches. It's why some guys who are only decent uh, or go, well, nobody was just decent, but merely good assistants turn out to be great head coaches. And mm -hmm. so, um, 
It is, it is a different job. And you, if he fails, I, here's the best way to put it. Maybe if he fails, we, we know how it's going to play out. We, we it's going to be volatile and, and it's, it, there, there will be some angry quotes and, and all these other things. Like we can see how his personality will affect failure, but that doesn't mean he will fail. He'll still have it. He still has a chance here to build some goodwill and get the pieces in place. And, um, and, and, We'll see. Uh, regardless of what anyone at Tennessee wants to tell you about this being a new day or a new era, much like Derek Dooley and Butch Jones before him, Jeremy Pruitt was not the first option. He was not the second option. He was not even the third option. <laughs> How that plays out with the Phil Fulmer dynamic, um, we'll have to see. Maybe someone should write about it. Bill! That's a hell of an idea. God, we got a lot of questions. Yeah. We're Why, gonna, we, oh. Why did I ask so we early? It's every freaking week. We need to start a second show each week just for questions. Well, we might do that. <laughs> That's uh, I was setting that up for. Okay, uh, let's dig in. Uh, yeah. I can go another solid 30, so uh, let's reward our, our, our fantastic community audience people. Um, Here's one. Uh, Mulch at Curly Shea. Why is the University of Oklahoma's logo OU? Um, what? A... I'm not sure, but B, Missouri is exactly the same way. It's the University of Missouri, but it's MU. Uh, I, I, wait, wait. What, whatever I, reason. I, I'm, he's asking why the logo is the O and the U interlocked? Yeah, both, both Missouri and uh, like Oklahoma, both. University of Oklahoma, UO, but they go by OU. Dude. I, Nebraska, actually. Nebraska is probably the same way. University of Nebraska, and they go by NU. Um, I, was, so, I was once with someone – when I was living in New York, I was once with someone from Oxford that was also interning and they had on a, a t-shirt just at Ole Miss with script lettering and someone in New York thought it was a drag show. Yeah. I have no, like I, because of where I went to college, I don't even know how to contribute to this conversation. OU seems yeah, totally normal to me. MU seems totally normal. Well, I know. Well, it, it, it does, but you see what its question is. Why, why do we call it OU when it's UO? Why do we call it NU when it's UN? Um, and the answer is apparently that was a big eight thing from a century ago because all those schools do it. University of Kansas is KU. Yes. Um, so yeah, just blame it on the big eight, big eights, you know, weird. to the best so, of my knowledge, it was a regional, uh, it was regional usage, but there are other schools outside of that area that do it. Um, it has a lot to do sometimes with in-state issues. It can be everything from the way that you're represented in terms of like, do you have a university board system? Is it, are you, are there tiers of universities within the state's structure? Like you name it. So oftentimes you'll see the U in front when, okay, I live in Tennessee. There is a university of Tennessee at Knoxville. That's the volunteers, the football team that you, everyone knows. Then there's also a university of Tennessee at Chattanooga. Um, they have an FBS team, the mocks. Then there's a university of Tennessee uh, at Martin and they are an FCS team. They're the Skyhawks. There's also bill a university of Tennessee at Memphis that has no sports teams. That's not the university of Memphis. That's not the Memphis tigers, but they are a medical school, whatever. So because there is the U of Tennessee at, you'll see the U in front of those schools more often. You see that also in Texas. You see that in gosh, just off the top of my head, uh, Alabama UAB. That's another one. So that's why Alabama boosters and Alabama fans had so much sway in UAB is because they're part of the same university system. I think that, has the most to do with it. But now Nebraska goes by NU, right? 
Yes. Okay. I need someone from the hive mind to back that up and because I know that there's a I I know that there are offshoots of the University of Nebraska system. So every state is different. It I don't think there was ever a hard and fast rule on it and then those traditions just sort of carry over and crystallize. I mean that's everything to do with college sports. Is that a good enough answer? Yeah, like I mean but yeah, and I mean, my own experience in Missouri, Missouri, Kansas City is UMKC. Uh, Missouri and St. Louis is UMSL, U-M-S-L. Uh, but Missouri is MU. Works for me. It's weird. It's weird. Um, that's, that's my answer. It happens because it's weird and it's always happened in certain area of the country. Great answer. Uh, let's just go. Uh, let's, let's play some favorites for a while. Jeff Mitchell, our friend over to Frogcast TCU, which, by the way, I think everyone makes a meme out of our show talking about Purdue and Wisconsin a lot. I feel like we slide in as, as much TCU as we do Wisconsin. I'm not complaining. Uh, Jeff, so. has gun so. to your head. Okay. What conference is TCU in come 2025? Uh, Big 12. Big 12. Big 12 gun to my head gun to my I'm head actually more... gun to my chin where I might survive the blast. Let's talk about some potential destinations because I don't, <laughs> believe, I do not I'm... gun to my head qualifies. What is the likeliest outcome at this very moment? That does not take into account taking a, you know, the risk or the gamble and the margins, which I think there is still a chance that the big 12 infects itself once again. And this time it's fatal, which is what Jeff is actually. Yeah. I, I don't about. Know. yeah I, I don't know if I'm, I'm more confident in the big 12 now than I, than I was a couple of years ago. And I don't know if that's just because like the recency effect of it hasn't died yet. Therefore, I, you know, every day that it doesn't die, it makes me seem like it's less likely or if it really is just that I, I think, you know, between the PAC 12's own instability and their, you know, potentially their inability to go swoop in and kill the big 12 off or whether it's that, or just the fact that we don't really know what the media landscape is going to be when this grant of rights expires, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's like legitimate or just uh, some recency effect, but I feel more confident in the Big 12 surviving than I did I'll put before. it this way. I've said this before. I've said it again. I'm going to keep saying it. Y'all that are trying to forecast the next wave of realignment, don't use the rules of the previous realignment. It won't happen the same way right. twice. The paradigm that shifts will, is going to be on the carriage side, and not, and therefore the rules are going to be different. So don't look at it the same way. Start thinking about the future in terms of the carriers first and what constitutes consumption and patronage. How are you paying to see these games? What are the platforms? How is that affected? The Nielsen ratings, right. DMAs, all that, is, I still think they're, they're going to go away um, or at least recede in terms of importance. How's that? Yeah, we'll go with that. Okay. Um, let's, play, let's keep playing the hits, mainly because this. Talked about media bias. I see an avatar photo, okay, of the Georgia Southern football team on the field with that damn eagle ready to go, wings flying. I'm ready to go. I can't help it. It's how I was raised. <laughs> My real media bias. Um, so if you work at Appalachian State or Georgia State, you take note of that. Everyone else thinks I'm a stand for some somebody or against somebody in the Southeastern Conference. I can burn it all down. I will always be an idiot who thinks Creek water is magical. Speaking of which at Eagle Creek GS asks, who's the best running belt running back in the Sun Belt? I have no idea, but Bill will answer that in a second. <laughs> um, and then what are Georgia Southern's ch- chances of getting to the conference championship and winning the conference championship? Um, not great. Not great this year. 
um, uh, systemic problems created uh, that still persist. There's perception issues around that program with the people that pushed it into the FBS. Uh, Georgia Southern is going to have to come to terms with the fact that they cannot operate like Georgia Southern has for 40 years and be successful in the FBS. And I don't care if they're in the Sun Belt or the SEC. It doesn't matter. Y'all got to start doing some big time things. Y'all got to start adjusting to life in a financial and cultural sense that fits the FBS and not the FCS. Stop acting like you can control all of these things and stop thinking that, you know, all of these traditions that were born out of being broke ass should be carried over and forced onto new coaching staffs. And, and the culture has to change flat out. I say that as someone who, Look, seriously, when I go grill this weekend, I have a Georgia Southern koozie. I will put – it's actually – what's the other word for koozie? What's the – huggy. Uh, it's a huggy because it's the thicker foam. What? One. No, no, this is a thing. I'm going to shut the whole show down for a second. Hmm. Koozies hmm. – we need Michael Felder on the show to, to explain this. Koozies seriously. are the flat ones that's just kind of the thinner piece of like plastic and foam. It's like they lay flat, right? You know what I'm talking about? And the bottom folds. And that's what like you sure. mainly have. Like it's God, I did go to an SEC school and I like I married into a, a ex sorority culture and like you go to the weddings and it has the people's name on the handout. Those are koozies. Okay. You can lay yes. them flat and you can stack yes, like, I have one with my name on it from a tailgate. Yeah, you yes. can flat you can stack like like fifty of them. Okay. A huggy is the more old school one from like the eighties where it's like a like a foam base that you can't fold, and then a foam cylinder, and then that it's thicker. It's like it's like a more old school approach. I have one of those old school Georgia Southern ones. That's what I put my beer in every time I'm, I'm working outside or grill outside or whatever. Hmm. I love Georgia Southern. Is my point? They got to get their head out of their ass, yes. flat out. They got to get their head out of their ass. They got to understand revenue issues. They got under. They got to start finding other means of bringing in money and stop worrying about preserving a culture that was born out of being broke. Okay. Yeah. I, um, I mean, they're not like to answer the original question. Cause obviously I don't have nearly as much personal experience, uh, in that regard, right, but, but um, running back question. Good luck. Well, both, I mean, the, that and just Georgia Southern winning, uh, making the, the Sunbelt title game this year. It's not, I mean, the range from great to terrible in the Sunbelt isn't like, uh, isn't enormous. So they don't have to achieve, overachieve by that much to, to put themselves in position. I think they were projected basically two games back of Appalachian state in the quote unquote East division that I'm still struggling with them having divisions. Um, but I mean, it's not likely like they, they were pretty good late last year when Lunsford took over or better mm-hmm. at least, but yeah, they, they've still got some work to do. As far as the running backs question goes, uh, give me Jalen Moore uh, from uh, Appalachian state, okay. I, I, you know, thousand yard rusher, good, uh, nice running back. He has a nice backup. So he's not going to kill himself and, 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 you know, run himself out, out of a month of the year. Uh, so yeah, give me, give me uh, double question here. One's a save in or, but it bridges back into the stuff that you're working on right now. So, um, it may be more of a question for next week, but I know you, and you can definitely ad lib it. Uh, so here's a save in or save in championship, national championships, or, ACC championships won by a team not named Clemson or FSU before Saban retires. And that's at underscore MS at underscore flood. Saban. Saban. Totally Saban. Like I, I mean, I I definitely think Miami could be capable of making a run like that. uh, Maybe, maybe a one-off with VTech 
That's the best I got. Right. Yeah, definitely. But 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 we've established that our Saban over under is about two and a half. Yeah. Uh, and that's two. Uh, yeah, over two uh, from from a, the pool of not Clemson or FSU seems like a lot. Uh, here's another. Here's another Saban or. Uh, hang on, hang on. Oh, oh I got, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got ACC it. back in on you. You ready? Um, so Rob's Rob's username is hard to read out loud. Ring the Odub. I don't know. Sorry, you're gonna do better, Rob. Is Miami now the clear favorite in the Coastal after the recent attrition that's hit my Hokies? And is that likely to be the case for the foreseeable future given Rick's quick turnaround of the program? It's kind of a mind. He's definitely from a, he's definitely established their recruiting bona fides. That's for sure. Um, doesn't necessarily translate. Just to give you a little hope there, Rob. Right. Um, I think VTech's been hit. But Georgia. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Okay. That's true. Uh, VTech is uh, man. They're in a weird spot. I, I really, I really hope no one is trying to associate some kind of freak occurrences with personnel these last couple of years with anything that Fuente's doing. I don't think that's the play yet. I hope y'all aren't doing that. Yeah. Um, They're probably doing that. I don't that. think they are. But yeah, like at the exact moment, they've now uh, lost their top five linebackers from last year and five of their top six defensive backs. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a lot. I mean, I, like they still have Bud Foster, so it's not like they're going to suddenly have the worst cut def- defense in the ACC or anything like that. But if we're talking about contending for the division crown mm-hmm. in the short term, it uh, it does feel like that's gonna that's gonna be a hindrance. They kept a quarterback. They kept Josh Jackson. It looked like the academics might claim him for a little bit. Um, I love so I and, love and, a salty V Tech when when they're when they're overlooked. They're a good. They're yeah. a good overlooked team, historically. Yeah, like they're gonna. They were projected twenty first in S and P. That was before they lost a few guys. So when I rerun those projections at the end of the off season, they're gonna probably be closer to thirtieth or thirty fifth. But a that still results in probably seven and five or something like that. And b like you're saying that may, that allows them to play the nobody believes in us card, and that usually looks pretty good uh, in Blacksburg. Uh, you got next. Or you want me to? Yeah, uh, Brian Walsh at Brick Walsh. Saban or more Saban national championships or Joe Moorhead SEC West championships. Hey, feeding back into the narrative. Uh, exactly. Synergy. Saban. Uh, Saban. <laughs> Joe Moorhead is, uh, we just kissed his ass for like a 30 minute segment on the show, but it is still Mississippi yep. state. It is still the SEC West. Um, yeah. Saban or Saban titles, or this is from uh, Matt at Red Sox M Texas. Okay. Uh, Saban titles or number of coaches with zero titles to win titles. Oh man. I saw this question last night. I'm going to even look past the fact that he's a Boston sports fan because it's a really, really (laughs) good question. Um, Are you sure? I'm I'm pretty like I mean between like we're we're talking about between now and when Saban retires you figure Saban Clemson and Ohio State are still going to have a massive role to play so we're talking about basically um Lincoln Riley or Tom Herman mm-hmm. or Willie Taggart mm-hmm. or Mark Richt or mm-hmm. Chris Peterson mm-hmm. uh I, I, anybody out right just uh well u.s i mean chip, uh, you know clay helton chip kelly chip kelly technically yeah um saving i think you know he's gonna win enough and then oh and kirby uh, well the kirby, kirby smart is kind I don't of know, man. That category. i think between saban and then clemson and ohio state still probably claiming one or two in that span i think it's, i don't think there's enough left you know what i think but kirby's obviously gonna have a think, role to play there i think it's a push and here's why i think it's a push we just rattled off a list of names, the most important coming last being Kirby. Okay. And maybe you add just a handful of others to that list. Like, 
Mario Cristobal at Oregon or Fuente or, you know, whatever. And you round it out. Barry Odom. Yeah, sure. Um, (laughs) I think it's a push. I I think you see like two or three more national titles, maybe interspersed in a period in which, especially Lincoln Riley, especially Tom Herman, and especially Kirby Smart. I feel like those are your, those are your upcoming contenders. The better question for me, if I want to put, if I really want to go push on this question for Matt, what other coaches that have won titles or have a chance to, other than Saban, Dabo, Clemson, yeah. and then it's really a quick drop after that. Or, well, Urban, Urban, oh, Urban, Urban yeah. and Dabo. Ooh, ooh, sorry, Ohio State. Yeah. Sorry, Big Ten. But I do think I do think I mean those two. If they if we if we're saying Saban is going to get two and a half more, if we just assume that that Ohio State and Clemson each win one more, that's already four and a half. And I if just, we're talking about Saban coaching like six or eight more years. Right, like that, but that, it's that, also that foreseeable in the next six years if you have an Ohio State title, a Clemson title, two Alabama titles, and then Texas and I don't know, like USC or something like that. Like that's all possible, right? And that's still a push. Yeah. It's it's possible, but I, I'm still taking Saban in this. Bet. I'm taking the field. Um, I'm going to take the field. It's rare that I right, go so, against Saban on this. So I'm going to real quickly, just so I can acknowledge them because I appreciate it. Uh, two more Saban ors that I'll cover in like 10 seconds and then we can move on. Number one, Jay Schnauzer asks, uh, this was for me personally, Saban or Saban title, titles or Serena Williams Grand Slam finals appearances. Serena. Uh, and Tallahassee Jesus at AMP09K. Saban or combined grand slams that Nadal and Federer win going forward, Nadal and Federer. So give me the tennis player in each of those examples. Uh, But thank you for asking tennis questions. That made me very happy. UF Mark 79. To the point that ended your last podcast, does the 2017 Auburn team that split games with Georgia and beat Bama have a better college football playoff resume with a win over Wake Forest than a loss to Clemson earlier in the season? Do they make it in over Bama, even though Bama is well Bama? Hmm. By the way, if this this is what I think it is, which is a Florida grad asking a hypothetical that encourages easier scheduling in non-conference play, (laughs) bravo, sir. Yes. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think this, you know, we're going to both say this reinforces the point we were making. So last week I was saying that basically – they don't have to schedule a Clemson type of game at the beginning of the year because they finished so strong, but it, 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 it obviously doesn't hurt them too, because they could have made it last year. Um, I, I think to, this question reinforces my point just in that, like they, the loss to Clemson hurt them, but not really a win over Wake Forest would have helped them, but not really. They would have still been uh, in position to make the title game until they lost to Bama. And then they would have been out of the title game. Uh, Lee at Lee nobody. I mean, until they lost to Georgia. Sorry, until they lost to Georgia, not Alabama. Sorry. At Lee nobody. Uh, he's a Georgia Tech fan. He was following up with our Georgia Tech discussion. With all the love that PAPN gives to the quote nerd schools, Georgia Tech, Purdue, Stanford, etc. <laughs> where do you think the PAPN blind spots are? Mountain West, outside of Hale, New Mexico State. Hey, let me tell oh, you something, Lee. Earmuffs. You get kids in the car. Scrub fifteen seconds. We don't have any fucking blind spots. This is PAPN. Damn. Damn. I, well, I, I mean, the natural like we will the, break down Hawaii right now. And 
despite the, the you know the whole the 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 joke that somebody made they only talk about three to nine teams uh we talk about the sec a lot more than we pretend to think that we do so i really like i i i, I, I i'm confident i don't think i think because of the preview series in the off season we're guaranteed to touch on everybody at least once or twice i say we are the least blind college football podcast out there by god oh i, I mean I, we have total of it man i'm neo what? in the matrix all right give me that shit again Jonathan Miklos. Oh, 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 oh. Ty goes the runner. That's you. Oh, okay. Uh, Is that a baseball reference? Um, Michael Settle at Settle. MLCFB. I love this. Uh, week three is loaded with G5 versus P5 matchups with a lot of potential for upsets. How does the G5 fare in this slate? He lists three, six, nine, 12, 14 games. This really is. I hadn't really thought about this. This is the G5 showcase weekend right here where they need to come know, up right? with upsets. So it's got, really, it's really solid. By the way, shout out to Michael. He writes at underdog, um, underdog yes. dynasty. Uh, you've got temple, Maryland, um, depending on Maryland's quarterback situation. That'll affect a lot of that one. Uh, Toledo, Miami, Toledo, uh, Miami, UCF, UNC. Okay. Yeah. Hang I'm on. going Miami too. Uh, UCF, uh, UNC, UCF, UCF, Troy, Nebraska. <laughs> because oh. I have faith in Scott Frost, I will say I will very week two, uh, three week three. Um, oh, I'm good. Yeah. No, you I, know what? I lack confidence, but I will say that. No, 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 no. Uh, uh-uh. I'm pulling it. Go Troy. Okay. Trojans all the way. SMU, Michigan, uh, Michigan, uh, Michigan, Miami, Ohio, Minnesota, mm, Minnesota, <sighs> I guess. Yeah. But like uh, I'm not, they, they, have a, they have a freshman quarterback this year. I'm not real confident in them just yet. BYU, yeah. Wisconsin, Wisconsin. Scotty, dude, they're going to kill him. Uh, Boise State, Oklahoma State. This is a funny one because every mm. Boise State fan is assuming a win and every Oklahoma State fan is assuming a win. And those are always really kind of funny games. It's like when Missouri and Kentucky play each other. And it's, it's, still water, it's still water, right? Yes. Oh, okay, then I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go Cowboys. They're gonna sure. have like the career backup quarterback this year. Their their offense will be pretty will be good, but not but not as good as it was last year. Boise's gonna have a chance because Boise State's gonna have a defense. Um, but uh, it's, 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 it is in Stillwater. It is in Stillwater. North Texas, Arkansas, week three. Yes, North Texas. I I have slowly begun to talk myself into Arkansas because I have a ton of receivers, but that is a, that is a North Texas is going to be pretty solid. Now I've told uh, multiple Arkansas fans like on social. I did Arkansas State. I did the the Matt Bo Mattingly show yesterday. Um, it was leftover uh, foul play promotion. I like Arkansas a lot. I, it's it's going to look shitty to start the season, but like I think by by the weird Black Friday game against y'all, I think you're going to see the the function of what's to come. And I, I do think they can make a bowl this year. Yeah. Yeah. They have a very specific, but maybe not if I'm picking them to lose to North Texas. I was about to say, yeah, basically they've got a path to a bowl as long as they beat both Colorado state in week two and North Texas in week three and the Colorado state games in Fort Collins. So it is a, if they lose either one of those, getting Mm. the six is going to be awfully Mm. hard, Mm. but yeah. So, but regardless, I mean, they, they didn't make a bowl last year. So just to be, you know, they, to, to be in contention for, for six and sixes at least doesn't mean a, a setback. All right. Next one. Uh, UTSA, Kansas state. K-State. I think K-State, but that's Too another one. Though, like they don't, 
they don't have enough upside to to really put to kill UTSA. I don't U- think yeah. Colorado State- UTSA is turning around. UTSA is turning over a lot. If it was last year, yeah. I would I would say maybe UTSA could pull an upset. Early that early when UTSA was still pretty good. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, Colorado State, Florida. I got a question. Yeah. Does Florida still owe Colorado State money? I, I I don't think they. I think this is part of the deal to get them to not owe Colorado State money. Like right. they they agreed to play them a couple times or something like that. This was this was this was the McElwain Bowl, which is mm. awkward since McElwain it's not there anymore. Mm, uh, I I don't. Colorado State has a lot more to replace this year than I would prefer. They're going to have an upset shot at both Florida, against Arkansas and Florida, but I don't think they've got the personnel to do it. Unfortunately, Florida, uh, but I don't think by much. Houston, Texas Tech. Uh, this game's in Lubbock. Yes. Uh, man, that's a I know, that's a freaking I, coin flip. That's early in the year. Texas Tech has a new quarterback. I mean, I, you can't ever really worry about their their offense. I, I think I feel. Pr- yeah, I, know, right? I think Houston's gonna have a very, very good shot here. Hmm, it's fifty-fifty. Um, hang on, let me find something to flip. I'm gonna flip my cell phone out of the carpet. Texas Tech. Um, you just flipped, you just flipped your cell phone. Okay, yeah. uh, Marshall, South Carolina. I think Marshall's gonna be pretty good this year, but I'm going on the assumption that South Carolina is top thirty or thirty-five good, and and therefore Marshall is not top thirty or thirty-five good. South Carolina. Fresno State UCLA is his last one. That, I love Man, this that's game. The best I mean, matchup of the whole deal. We, we were talking about like Mississippi State's maybe the most interesting team in the SEC. Uh, Florida State's maybe the most interesting team in the ACC. Although there are a lot of them, uh, UCLA to me just because I have no freaking idea. Uh, but they have a lot of raw talent and Chip Kelly. Like they could be anything this year, and h- half of those things are a team that loses to Fresno State. <laughs> Fresno State. Fresno um, State. Okay. Okay. Fresno State. I feel good about that one. Okay. Man. Week three. Yeah. Bring it to me. That's a I admitted to Bill before we went on the air. I had no idea that Clemson and AM were playing in week two this year. Sorry. Yeah, I think he was still in a hole uh, somewhere in Mississippi when everybody when when Jimbo went to Texas A and M and then everybody looked at their schedule and went, Oh my god. Wait, hang on, hang on. So without looking. In week two, mm-hmm. you will have Clemson in College Station, yep. USC in Austin, yep. and Arizona in Houston. Yeah. Wow. Big week for Texas. Every national writer is going to go do that run. I mean, I've heard of worse ideas. A lot of good barbecue there. Um, oh, I, I've got to oh, go some... back. Uh, John, uh, poor Jonathan always bazookas us with questions. Um, <laughs> is there a college football equivalent to Croatia making the World Cup final? Uh, <laughs> probably the lazy answer is the right one, which is a, a Boise making it to the playoff. Well, I, I actually, this is, I'm going to refer to a piece that we wrote right before the World Cup where we uh, sat down with Kim McCauley from our soccer, SB Nation soccer team, and went through and basically like we just went back and forth like describing each uh you know football team and it was like me and jason and richard and spencer um i don't think you were on that call but uh we, we basically like we described characteristics and basically we came up with croatia as west virginia um and and france okay. was georgia so we just had a georgia west virginia world cup final um 
So it wasn't it wasn't Boise State. Croatia was higher on the on the on the total okay. pool than that. That's what I don't but, know as a as a extremely casual soccer fan. Right, and so it, like it's it's certainly within the realm of possibility, but it it it, it, it took oh seven po- uh, potential for West Virginia to get super close to the national title game. Noah Strauderman asks that what is the next non Clemson ACC school to make the college football playoff? Um, it's really a question of Miami or Florida State, isn't it? Yeah, and I hate that answer because it sounds so generic, but it's true. I would say in 2018, Miami, and then probably 2019 and beyond Florida State. It's a really boring yeah, answer, okay. but I mean, it's it's hard to it's really hard to say anybody. I mean, VTech would be right underneath that, but again, we just we just got done saying don't worry about all those snake bites that they keep getting. Um, pretty good. I, I, I like this Saban or that I got. For okay, you. this is a, this is a pretty solid question from John Carolyn. Saban or. Saban national titles or Saban losses in Saban's worst year from now on. Yeah. So basically if we're this saying two and a half, this, this may be the Saban or question to end all Saban ors. I know. I, I feel like give, I think, give me, Saban I think I, give me the titles. So you think that, that he doesn't lose three or more games in another season before he retires? I think here's what I think. I think the number's two and a half, like it always is. And I have a hard time. I think there's one at the end where he slips up and loses like three games. He's not going to go out like that. Well, I mean, it's not like he's not going out like six and seven or something. He's going he out 10 going and out, three. I'm telling, you, I'm telling you this right now, Bill. He's not going to go out in, in a year in which that, that he loses, doesn't make the, doesn't make it to Atlanta and loses to Auburn and like LSU. And then like one super rando or loses like a big cross, like division game against like a, like like if they play Georgia in the regular season which they never do um or 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 here's a more likely scenario they play one of these neutral site season openers and they lose to like Texas or something like that and then they lose to Auburn and then they lose to LSU he's 9 and 3 or they or they make a new year six bowl and they lose to to Oklahoma well an Oklahoma type yeah I I mean, I I think that's, I think when he's done, uh, like, hey, he's not going to pull a Bobby Bowden and go seven and six, like three straight years or something. But I could see a 10 and three. I think that's within the possibility. And since I have the, since I'm thinking two and a half, like for any Saban or, I guess, give me the losses. Man. I know. Uh, Okay. So I saved this one towards the end because I I, I commented on Twitter last night because it kind of blew my mind. Um, I, I like this question a lot, and I've gone back and forth 50 times. So this is the last one I'm going to pull from this list. Uh, our friend Nick Simon at Nick Simon TDS says, with the new season of Last Chance U dropping this week, this question just crossed my mind. With the D1-level talent that they're able to bring in every year, how well do you think East Mississippi Community College would fare if you randomly dropped them in, say, the Conference USA? Wow. I love this question because I, I, I seriously flip-flopped on it like 12 times. Um. Yes. Depth is an issue. Now, uh, you know, I just talked to Jason Brown, the Independence Community College uh, coach, for a piece. He's the season three uh, last chance U team. Um, I talked to him last week, and I know they have a rule now in the Jayhawk conference where, like, you can you can sign as many guys as you want. Like he he said, he signed like forty guys. So so it's not a depth problem. Like you can only you're going to only have a forty man roster. You'll have you can have a sixty man roster or something. But depth should still probably be an issue, especially since some of those starters really are. They're not SEC caliber guys. 
and then the organization is going to be a little issue because you don't have you you never have continuity. You have to keep things super simple uh, because just the the everything changes so much. But raw talent, the the number of 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 division of FBS caliber guys they're going to have, or uh, power five caliber guys they're going to have at any given time. I think East Mississippi could go at least six and six in Conference USA. Maybe not more than that. Maybe not more than about seven and five. I can't see any more than six wins. I think that we may be short selling Conference USA here. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. But... Know, man, it's just hard. I don't know why. I, I know this. Is why I love this question because I'm I'm still not committed I don't to know my why answer. I feel right like now. I have to be diplomatic on this one, but um, depth is the yes you you are right to address depth first um i'm (laughs) never great defensively yeah let's just say sex damn it's a good question because i really can't formulate a single talking point i want to like stand behind on this all right so here's let's let's maybe it's easier if we do this like going through conference USA last year from worst to first UTEP they I, I'm confident that they would beat UTEP Rice last year's oh Rice God, I think yeah. they would beat last year's Rice Charlotte I think they would beat Charlotte once we get to, now we get to the ones where I'm less sure about it. old old Dominion how many wins Florida is that international so so that's well we, it depends on on the draw I guess but that's three of the fourteen teams they're definitively better than okay and so then you get to old Dominion so FIU let's give them two West wins West. out of that. That's that's you, you get into the ODU, FIU, WKU, UAB tier, then you start to I think things start to snowball on you pretty fast. But here's here's a, a point. Old Dominion was bowling two years ago. FIU bowled last year. Western Kentucky bowled last year. Like we're, we're to the we're to the group of teams that could go six and six. And that's when I start to, to struggle with where to put them. So I think I think they could I think they could do six and six. And this is one where we should just have confident answers because we're never going to be proven right, right or wrong. Let's go straight six. All right, I'm fine okay. with that. Bill. Yeah. That was an episode. That was an episode. Well, I'm spent. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll be back next week. Um, I fully anticipate another seven to eight day new cycle of nothing coming out of the media days. Uh, that streak shall continue. Therefore, we will find your content to be the most useful. So uh, <laughs> please, hit it, please hit us up at AskPAPN. Um, ooh, we can confidently tease that one of the things that we've been working on for two years to make happen is, ex- is actually happening right now. That's exciting, right? Yeah. That's really exciting. Uh, so we'll have some, uh, some more news. We shall march on. Season's back. Talking season's here. Football season, not yet. No blind spots. Never. How dare you?